Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and with Major League Baseball's opening day less than 24 hours away, in this episode, I'll preview the upcoming season with a very special guest, my friend, college roommate, and the officiant at my wedding, Connor Riley. Connor and I have some fun stories that go way back, but he brings value to this episode for all listeners in the sense that he's an absolute sports fanatic, and with him being located in New York, we've got both coasts represented in this episode, along with plenty of love for Major League Baseball teams in the middle of the country. This is our 16th year exchanging picks before the season, and we've done most of it in written form through Facebook messages going back to 2006, but this time around we figured, let's do it in podcast form. So that's what we've got in store, our picks for the 2021 season, including division-by-division standings predictions, our postseason picks from the play-in games to the World Series, along with our MVP and Cy Young picks, plus our three favorite over-under regular season win total picks, and last, some bold predictions to close out the conversation. If that sounds good, I'd appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would be incredibly helpful for more people to discover the show. And if you're looking for betting edges when it comes to baseball, check out Dimers.com, where one of their top articles right now breaks down the value they see on three teams to win the World Series. I'll link to that article for easy reference in the show notes. Alright, so without further ado, let's get to this conversation with my partner in crime back in 2005 and 2006 at Boston University, Connor Riley. Connor, welcome to Props and Hops. It feels like we've been prepping for this moment for about 15 years without even knowing it. What are your thoughts on doing this year's baseball picks in podcast form? Matt, I am so excited, my man. And thank you so much for having me on. And first and foremost, I mean it. Congratulations on what you've built here with this. Um, I've thank you. had the joy of knowing you for 15 years, and you've always been so hardworking. And the way you've built this up and really focused on your craft and your progress has been outstanding so far. And uh, so happy for you. And I'm so overjoyed to be here to continue the tradition that we started so innocently in our late teens and we're uh, we're still <laughs> plugging away at this and uh happy opening week in baseball and i'm really excited to get this going yeah thank you so much well uh for any listeners wondering i'm not paying connor for that endorsement but i might have to pay you in the form of some good <laughs> beer for your time and those kind of words so i am equally thrilled to have you on board here and before we get into some picks i thought it might be good to give a little bit of background context behind our relationship and how we've been doing this to your point, I think 15 years ago at this time, well, I know that 15 years ago at this time, we were roommates at BU, and that's about the time we started exchanging these picks. So um, before getting too much into baseball, do you have any memories that stand out just from our time as roommates? Oh, man, quite a few. You know, I remember even before we moved in together, we connected on, I think it was the Facebook at the time. You actually had to type the word the Facebook in, and we connected that way. And I saw right away, he was a sports fan, seems like a cool dude. And, you know, that's kind of the fear. You know, I'm from New York. I was going to Boston for school. You don't know it's a huge school who you're going to get matched up with and um, got encouraged by the social media presence. And I think we clicked from day one. Um, a lot of shared interests. I think we started hanging up our decorations. I had Mets stuff here. You had Angels stuff there. I had football stuff here. You had football. So it's just like, this is going to work out pretty well. Um and yeah, just I think our shared interests, I think we have pretty 
similar laid back attitudes. And uh, it was just a, it was a great match from the start. So a lot of good memories. Yeah. I think you hit on some of the highlights that I would have gone to as well. I'm connecting before we even met in person. I couldn't remember if it was Facebook or even over email. Cause we got our BU email addresses mm-hmm. before we moved in. Although you needed at the time, you needed a college email address to sign up for Facebook. So we were on the platform, I guess, when it still had some street cred. But yeah, it was great to see those similar interests right off the bat. And I believe that move-in day was your birthday, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like the first time we met, we shook hands. I'm like, oh, hey, it's nice to meet you and happy birthday. And and from the jump, it felt like we'd already known each other for some time. That's right. Yeah, I got an early September birthday. So yes, I think it was my birthday that day. So it was a very, very surreal day, you know, moving away from the parents for the first time on your birthday, new new city, college, and uh, all that. But um yeah, it makes it a lot easier when you know your roommate is pretty legit, pretty cool dude, and it's it uh it vaulted us into quite a quite a friendship together that I, I cherish to this day. So it's it's uh it's really been good. I feel like also it was just not to sound too old, but the times we were in college were a little different than now. I feel like now with all like the tech and the streaming services and all the stuff you can do in your own little isolation, you know, I feel like kids maybe going to college now really do keep to themselves. Or, you know, just kind of keep their friendships from home. I feel like in Boston, we had to watch cable TV together on our shared dorm room TV. You know, we popped in a DVD and just those kind of old school things that, you know, I'm hoping the college experience still kind of has. But, you know, those are some of my cherished memories, you know, just hanging out literally together. So it's uh, it was a great time. Yeah, I think that to your point about the dorm room, uh, the common room, just shared TV. It's like if somebody wants to watch one movie, like that's what the floor is watching. And there were... <laughs> Even some good tenders, some music videos I saw for the first time, like Guns N' Roses or White Snake songs that I knew, but hadn't hadn't really put the visuals to it before. Um, you know, there was I think a, a big baseball tournament that we did on. It might have been an N sixty four at yeah, this time yeah. in two thousand six. <laughs> so uh, we're dating ourselves, but yeah, we we had a good floor of other sports fans, but that was the kind of thing that forced people together. And I think there's a lot of value to that experience because even. My wife, Allison, who's been on the show a couple of times, she also went to BU and she would think of our room when she came to hang out with us as the odd couple. Like you mentioned the memorabilia on one side, it's all Angels, West Coast, and then you had Mets, Jets, Islanders. Even when it came to cleanliness and organization, I was OCD about it. I think you were more anything goes at the time. And the fair snacks to say, that we had. to say, yep. <laughs> And, and she would even point out that my side was lined with protein bars and then your side was lined with Easy Mac. And I think there was such a nice balance there because I could get so uptight or obsessive about certain things. And you really reeled me back into a place where I could still be on a good track, but also not drive myself crazy. So that went a long way. And, and even the nightly Madden games, naturally Chargers against the Jets. To this day, every time I see a kickoff get returned, I, I, I hear the words taken by scrolls. And, and yeah, that, those kinds of traditions, just to your point, stuff that I wouldn't have gotten on my own or in many different environments. So yeah, really laid the foundation for a strong friendship and kind of sets the tone for why we're even doing this today. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I think within about 30 seconds, seeing our physical specimens, someone could tell who had the protein bar side, and who had the chef already side. <laughs> it would take about 15 seconds of seeing us two. I've gotten a little better in my twenties and thirties, but, um, college Connor was, uh, was a unit to say the yeah. least. You were a force on the basketball court, so you had that inside presence. And uh, yeah, nobody'd want to bang around and deal with the, I think it was like the running floaters that just somehow mm-hmm. had a way of dropping. So <laughs> there was definitely something to be said for that. And fast forwarding a little bit from 2006 before hitting present day, 
back in, this would have been 2014, you were also the officiant at my wedding. And I wanted to quickly check in and see what you might remember from that whole experience. Oh, fantastic experience. And unforgettable, really. I remember the time that you asked me to do it. It was just something I never saw coming in a million years. And I was like, I was getting proposed to almost for a wedding that I was like, wow, cool. <laughs> it was, um, And then, you know, you do the process online and it's just, it's just a, an exciting and just joyful thing to do. Just like thinking, okay, I'm doing this because on Matt's wedding, I'm going to be able to, to do the thing. And, you know, at the actual wedding, it was a fantastic party. I think I was as brief as could be, I'd say, maybe a little bit mixed in nerves and just wanting to get, you know, the show on the road and get the party started. But um, a fantastic memory I'll have forever and something you don't think you're ever going to do, but I'm just so glad to have done it. And um, yeah, you and Allison were just so comforting the whole time, making sure I was good and doing the process. And it was uh, took all the stress off. So it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because, yeah, my thought is that it was quite possibly the quickest wedding ever. It reminds me of the line, if you've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where Captain Holt and his husband, Kevin Cosner, talk about having an efficient officiant at their <laughs> wedding. And I draw a parallel to that in the best possible way. And part of that's totally on me. I didn't I didn't give you a lot to work with. I was probably just trying to figure out so many other details. I was like, Connor's great in front of people. He's got this. Um, and really kind of just threw you out there. And it was it was awesome. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the process as well, because it was it was quick, but I think short and sweet epitomized in that moment. Totally. And, and the, the guests are really cool, too. I think uh, one of your family members is like, somebody's not getting paid by the word, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I say, you know what? It was, uh, we, we said the important stuff. And, you know, we got the reception started. You know, Allison seemed cool with it. You know, it's always about the bride. So, you know, she was uh, as chill as ever. And, you know, <laughs> worked out great. Yeah, that sounds like something her father, Doug, would have said afterward, for sure. But to your point, I think people often go to a wedding. A nice ceremony is great, but people usually want good alcohol and good food and good music. So we just kind of cut to the chase, and it seemed to be well-received. So you enjoyed it. She and I enjoyed it. I think our guests had a good time. So um, I think I've told you plenty of times over the years, but we are still grateful for having had you at that moment. And yeah, I think before we get uh, too much more inside baseball, pardon the pun, we can transition this into the reason a lot of people are probably listening here, getting into the sports side of the conversation. And to kick things off, to paint the picture of you know you and, and why you bring value to this conversation, um, let's begin with, I'd say, what's your earliest baseball memory? My earliest baseball memory is definitely the visual of the uh, Shea Stadium, which has now become City Field. Just... As a young kid going there, it was, I'll never say the word dump. It wasn't a dump, but it was quite an old-fashioned, old-school stadium. They had these fluorescent outlines of players on the outside, which as a young kid, I thought was the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, I'm going to see baseball. And then just the quirks of the stadium to get to the upper deck where we always were. You know, it was me, my three brothers, and my parents. So, you know, we always had the cheaper seats. Shame me just go up these winding ramps just of concrete and it was just seemed like forever going up but you knew you're going to get to the top get to your seats and then forever going back down when the game was over um there was luckily city field brought over the home run apple which is always the highlight the mets hit a home run the apple goes up and the definite memory was also they had an air, airplane race during the game and shay's layers of seats were all different colors and upper deck was the red so we always cheer for the red airplane it was red versus orange versus green versus blue and all the levels cheer for their airplane. And, you know, that's the little kid stuff I remember. 
Um, and just going to the game was fantastic. The first actual play that came to mind was actually watching a playoff game between the Orioles and the Yankees, where Armando Benitez drilled. I think it was Tino Martinez in the back, and I thought I thought he was dead. It was just Benitez threw it so <laughs> Benitez threw it so hard. This huge brawl ensued. And I think Daryl Strawberry was in the Yankees. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, wait, Daryl Strawberry, that's who my dad always talks about as a great Met. Now he's fighting with the Yankees. Like, it was just, I guess, conceptually, as I went to the games as a little kid, going to the Mets games, I knew I was watching baseball, but I never really pieced together that, like, there was a playoffs and a World Series. It was almost like I went to the Mets to see, like, a showcase of baseball and, like, other teams played. And it's just like, it all kind of meshed together, I'd say, around 97, 98, if I started following the Mets and saying, okay, let me hope the Mets get to the playoffs and all that. And that's where it took off. And, you know, my Piazza came to town. And it was just, I'm one of the lucky ones who, in my formative years of being a youth in baseball, you know, the Mets kind of fielded a good team and all that. So that's kind of me just going through the years of being, <laughs> trying to understand what's going on and then, you know, becoming a big, big baseball fan. Yeah, I can totally relate to that memory of walking up the, you know, the kind of crisscrossing concrete to get to the upper deck and going to Angels games at the time it was Anaheim Stadium. I remember my first game. Uh, naturally, they played the Yankees. It, it was surprising. Like, why are there so many Yankee fans here? I remember the concessionaires would walk up and down the aisle. And they were selling pennants. You know, like the home team. Like, we're number one. They'd have Angels pennants. But they also had Yankees merch. I'm like, this is a, an Anaheim Stadium employee selling Yankees gear that's probably bringing in more revenue than the home team's gear. But... Also wondering during commercials, like, what do we do? The third out of an inning is made. It's like, well, I had only ever seen the commercials. Like, now we just get to sit here and watch the, you know, the guys warm up between innings. Or, yeah, you talk about the airplane races. I remember at Angels games, they had, like, the hot dog races where you're cheering for the ketchup or mustard or relish. So, yeah, despite being on opposite coast, I think a lot of common threads there. And I'm glad for your sake that by the time you started to piece together what was going on, the Mets had some pretty solid runs in them. I know they still haven't reach the summit during your fandom, but they've, they fielded many more competitive teams than the ones you knew as, you know, the playoffs and world series, not being a factor. Yeah. They've been fun at the very least. They've been fun. You know, it's, it's, it's been a long time now since their last title. Unfortunately it happened just before my birth. Um, but you know, just seeing how happy that championship makes the older fans and being able to watch that, like, you know, on YouTube or whatever, seeing the old, the old championships is, is special, but it's, it's, I wouldn't trade them for the world, even though, you know, they don't have as much success as others. There's a lot of franchises out there who just really just linger and just kind of stay stagnant. And I feel like the Mets are, they've been fun, a lot of fun. Yeah. And beyond the Mets, we'll, again, we'll get into our baseball pick shortly, but as a sports fan in general, it's, it's not just the Mets you care about. How would you describe yourself as a sports fan? Yeah, um, the Mets, Jets, and Islanders are really my three big teams. I'm a season ticket holder to New York Jets for 11 years now. Yeah, um, the blessing from this year, I don't want to call it a blessing, but um, with fans not allowed in the stands, I did not have to pay money to see the Jets go 2-14. I had to got to roll that <laughs> over to next year, so that was um, something that I was um, pleased about. But, you know... It's just that's what makes this time of year so exciting because, like, people sometimes ask me, Well, who's like, what championship do you want the most? You know, who would make you the most happy? And I just say, I, I can't imagine any of them yet. I, I really have to ha- feel them to, to have them. But, you know, right now, this time of year, like, I'm, I'm 
pumped. I'm so pumped for the Mets. And that happens in the spring. And then once, you know, the training camp starts with football, I'll be like, oh, the Jets are starting soon. So it's just, it's nice seasonal based. I'm never bored during the sports year because I have three teams I really, really care about. Um, but yeah, and that's that's kind of my thing. I, I'm someone who I can flip on a game and I'll be entertained by out of town teams as well. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a sports fan. I'm not people binge watch different shows. You know, they have their like other forms of entertainment. I think sports is wonderful, unscripted entertainment that I love taking in, you know, no matter what sport it is. So that's, that's, that's really my deal. And, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. Yeah. Well said. And I think one thing that can really make it even more entertaining in a lot of ways is if you're watching any kind of game, if you've got a bet and, or a good beer while you're enjoying it. I mean, the two pillars of the show, Betty and craft beer last question, before we start to dig into our baseball picks, how would you describe yourself as a better and a beer drinker? So as a better, um, in listening to your podcast, I do a lot of things that you would not be pleased about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have explanation. I have an explanation. I, I totally agree with with your mindset of you know grinding out the small victories over time. It's a process. So gambling is not legal in New York State where I live, and uh, I'm not someone that delves into the offshore accounts. You know, I have friends that do and they, they enjoy it. I, I just I don't do the offshore things, but the state of New Jersey has legalized gambling. So on my phone, I have a, a few apps, mobile uh, sportsbook apps, and you can find me usually on Sunday mornings in the fall, parking my car in the Bronx and walking across the George Washington Bridge into New Jersey territory to put in my football bets. And I'll be doing it this week for my baseball bets. And I'm telling you, especially during football season, I'm not the only one doing it. There's some guys there and they're like in their hoodies. Some of them are smoking cigarettes. They're all pacing around, really stressed out, locking in their bets. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's silly. And once New York legalizes gambling, I look back and think how outrageous it was. But it's it's a fun little process of you park and then you walk across the bridge because the toll would be 16 bucks. And that's like $16 found money for me to use to gamble in my mind. It's like laying extra big. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. So I'm going to get my steps in and I'm going to walk across, put them in, walk on back. Um, so that's me as a better. And because of that process, I feel like, and I've sent you some of my bets and um, you've been polite. I'm sure on the inside you're cringing <laughs> and you want to jump off a bridge. But um, I usually go there to casually place in some small bets that could pay off big you know i want to make the trip worth the while because i can't grind out the small stuff because i'm not there and i'm not going all the time so you know i'll just put in like a five or six and a five or six team nfl parlay for the week you know i'm sure for the um the baseball coming up i'll put in a few just like season long things in case i don't go there too often but me as a better casually laying small amounts of money with the hope that one of the whales will hit and uh, cover my bankroll for several, several months. And uh, that, that that's me as a better. Um, as a drinker, um, I have to admit that in our beginning of our friendship days, when I was a little heavier and I didn't really care what I drank or nutrition and all that, I could just see a beer, drink a beer. Um, <laughs> on, on the craft side, I tend to go towards more local breweries because here in long island as you i know you had that wonderful guest um i did the new york city beer and she, and she kind of spoke about all the different breweries in new york i kind of 
see a menu and see a location and think, oh, you know what? Let's see. You know, let me. It, it feels good to be a patron of local beers and I'll order that beer. I'm not really into, you know, the different styles, the science of the beers. You know, that doesn't really. I'm not an expert on that. I'll just kind of say, oh, okay, you know, they got this new Coney Island beer. That sounds good. You know, out Eastern Long Island. Oh, let, let me throw throw some bucks their way. It's kind of location based more than style based. Um, although many of the labels that I read, because you know, listening to you, your podcast makes me want to like figure out more about this stuff. It seems like I'm definitely like an ale person. Like I, I did come a little prepared for, for this one. I got a, a Blue Point Imperial Sunshine, a blonde air with orange peel in it. And uh, it's it's one of my favorites right now. So I, I I skew on the side of ales um, when I do that. But if I'm going to be drinking casually during an event where I'll be drinking multiple beers um, to try to stay behaved, I don't want to get thrown off the podcast, but I have gone to the seltzer territory and the Nickel of Ultra territory to try not to be too regretful the next day. But um, I feel by doing that, it makes stuff like this a lot more like a like a treat. And uh, I, I do appreciate it more. And it's not just, okay, another beer and another night, another craft beer. And, you know, it, it, it really means something now when I, when I delve into that territory. So that's, that's what's going on the drinking side. Yeah. So I love a lot of what you just said about both betting and beer, even though sometimes my approach might not always align with your approach. That's where I think there's a lot of beauty in it. Maybe the continuing theme of being that odd couple. And there are, I think, a lot of people who take maybe both of our approaches, perhaps many more that, that would take yours. So I think there's a time and place for every kind of beer and, and honestly, any kind of bet. So if you're making bets that you could afford to lose the money, it's for entertainment purposes, and you know there's not a problem with it, then by all means, have some fun with it. So I appreciate your comment about the politeness, even though I might see it and say this doesn't fit the you know, the mathematical model of maximizing your long-term value. That's not what everybody's going for. Every recreational better's goal isn't to be profitable or to be able to one day make a living off of it. Sometimes it's like, hey, I'm going to watch this three and a half hour game. I want some entertainment. So if you have a plan and you have a goal, then then just go for it and, and risk what you can afford to risk. And, and by all means, I also love how you put it outrageous seems like the perfect term for that process of driving to the Bronx, walking across the bridge, placing the bets, pacing back. Um, it reminds me of stories I'd hear from David Malinsky, who I had the honor of working with back in 2017. He would reminisce on the old days in Vegas where you just wait for the Stardust to post their lines. And then it was one of the most commonly trafficked routes running from the Stardust sportsbook to pay phones that I believe were right outside the hotel to then call friends or people in a betting group who could then compare numbers at other books to try to find value way before the days of the electronic screen and being able to line shop in seconds. So I feel like New York is in that archaic spot right now. And pretty soon it's going to seem so silly to have had to do it. But at the same time, there might be something nostalgic about it. And, and that's still going to be a possibility. There will probably still be people doing that when New York gets its act together with legalization. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, if and when New York does that, I'll be able to kind of mesh my style into more of, you know, taking the advice from the podcast here and really thinking, okay, you know, what's the way to grind out? Because I can't do the stuff I do if I'm going to have access all the time. It, it, would, it would be a it would be much, much different scenario. So um, looking forward to the day it happens. You know, it's the one you hear around here. It's sooner rather than later. But I, I, I think you might be right about the nostalgic part. Even hearing that story about Vegas, you know, technology is great and everything. But like, Things like that's so cool. 
like having the hustle to like make things just like go and you know future generations won't really know that but it's it's just cool to keep that keep that in memory yeah absolutely i was thinking right as you were saying it just the hustle involved that can kind of separate a lot of people just that extra barrier of putting in the work a it can weed out you know thin the crowd and it can also just make it that much more rewarding when things pan out putting in that effort so love what you said about your perspective as a better, even if it doesn't align perfectly with mine, that's what makes this, I think, such a, a fun space to get into. And then speaking of beer, I also like what you said about the lighter side of things when you're you know, looking for maybe something to drink multiples of over the course of a game or a day. So um, I've also been chilling a can. It's always the reverse angle on this video camera. There we go. Baseball. Baseball Lager by Highland Park Brewery out here in Los Angeles. Uh, it's, it's got the Dodger color scheme going on, but I can confirm it tastes just as good if you're an Angels fan or a Mets fan or a fan of any other team. So yeah, the, the IPAs can be great. Double, triple IPAs in some cases are dangerously smooth, but if you want something that's going to let you keep your wits about you and, you know, stay coherent in the middle of a, a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, then plenty of good options. I love the local emphasis too, just knowing whatever's in your backyard if you like a lot of different styles and there are a lot of places worth supporting, then by all means, throw them a few bucks. And, you know, especially this past year, that can make all the difference in seeing them through past the pandemic times. Yeah. Yeah. And when you go to these, when you go to the breweries now, they're just always just like so nice to you. And just like you want to, you leave the brewery saying, wow, like if I have a chance, I want to support them any way I can. So it's, it's cool having so many breweries nearby on Long Island and the city area where if you happen to stumble in one day and they're just really cool to you and you like their beer, you say, okay, you keep them in mind and you just, uh, you go with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we get into some baseball specific talk, I will, uh, crack this open. Absolutely. And say cheers. Cheers, man. Long time coming. Favorite time of the year. Yeah, this is nice. Drinking a beer, talking some baseball on a Monday afternoon with opening day around the corner. So, uh, yeah, I mean, whether you're a, a better beer drinker, baseball fan in general, opening day is an annual rite of passage. And as we prep to dive into 2021, I thought I'd put together a quick recap of how we did last year to lay the foundation. And when it came to picking division winners, you got three out of six, right? You, your misses were the Indians in the AL Central, the Brewers in the NL Central, and the Mets naturally are pick in the NL East. I did only slightly better. I had four out of six, and my misses were the Yankees, my pick to win the AL East, and the Reds were my pick to win the NL Central. So overall, between the six divisions, we got between the two of us, five of them correct. So not bad. We'll take that. Yeah, I, I've been wrong on the NL East. If this is 15 years, I've been wrong 12 out of 15, probably just <laughs> hammering <laughs> the Mets. <laughs> so if, if anybody is guessing who Connor picks to win the NL East this year, I'll just say that if I'm booking the action, that line is off the board because there's only <laughs> one way it could go. Uh, yeah. So if we want to look at the postseason last year, this is where I, I think it was probably our, our best moment. You had the Rays winning the AL pennant. You did have them winning the World Series over the Braves. Obviously, that didn't pan out, but it looked pretty good when Atlanta was up three games to one over the Dodgers in the NLCS. So I think you had some pretty sharp picks for the playoffs. I did have the Dodgers winning the World Series, and I had them winning it over Oakland. So I feel like we kind of balanced each other out there. I mean, between the two of us, we had both pennant winners and the World Series winner. Not bad. Not bad. I I intentionally kept myself 
in the dark about last year's picks. I wanted to react in real time here. And uh, that's that's pretty good for a shortened season. You know, there's a lot of quirky things going on that expanded 16 team playoff field could have really messed us up in terms of our our final there. So, um, yeah, nice job by us. Yeah. Even the Marlins sneaking into the playoffs couldn't mess that one up. Crazy, so, crazy, crazy. So we did well with the postseason where we stumbled, though. I think we take home the golden sombrero when it comes to the individual awards, striking out in all four if we're looking at MVP and Cy Young in both leagues. Obviously, these are more needle in the haystack type of bets. So even if we just got one, that would be pretty good, relatively speaking. AL MVP was Jose Abreu. You had the right first name, Jose Ramirez. And I foolishly took the best player in the world by the name of Mike Trout. In the National League, Freddie Freeman took it home for the Braves. You had Mookie Betts. I had Freeman's teammate, Ronald Acuna. Cy Young, AL, Shane Bieber. I mean, who saw that coming? But you did You did try to go with a long shot, Nick Anderson. Full disclosure, I had to look it up to give myself a refresher as to what team he was on. And I quickly remembered his electric stuff with the Rays. But that was an uphill battle for him as a reliever. It's it's a bummer he's likely out till the All-Star break this year. But do you remember your thought process when you were going with Nick Anderson for Cy Young in 2020? You know, I was just thinking in the super short season and the Rays being super quirky, I, I just thought if the Rays did success, were successful, like I thought they were going to be, I just thought they may have him starting two games a week, saving three other games. And the media might be so entranced by this Nick Anderson super role that um, he might take home the award. But um, in hindsight, they, they were good and they did some quirky stuff, but he was just kind of decent. And I, I just, um, yeah, just, just, a, just a miss on that one. Yeah. I mean, anytime we guess one player, it's probably going to be a miss. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking most of the players we're going to talk about for MVP and signing awards later for 2021, probably near the top of the leaderboard if you were to look at the odds. And even then, all those odds are still implying that it's less likely uh, that somebody's going to win that award than not. So I think you had a sharp approach there, thinking through the short season, the Rays having the approach that they do, his ability to play in a pretty unique role. So I say good job on the process. The result didn't pan out, but that's a pretty cool angle you took there. I took the much more boring route and went with Garrett Cole. Didn't happen, but um, he's another front runner this year. And the National League, Trevor Bauer kind of caught a lot of people by surprise by taking that home, and he got richly rewarded for it. You naturally took the Mets ace, a very worthy contender every year, Jacob deGrom. I went with Walker Bueller. So I think we had some pretty sound process for a lot of our picks, but still 0 for 4 on the individual awards. Hopefully we'll catch one this year. Sounds like a great plan. We're due. We're due. We're due. Exactly. So looking forward to the 2021 season, we can get into our picks now, division standings, postseason, individual awards. We'll also hit on three of each of our favorite regular season win total over under bets, as well as some bold predictions to wrap things up. And when it comes to the divisions, there's a lot up in the air. The Dodgers and Yankees are the only two teams in the majors with a minus sign in front of their division odds, implying you'd have to risk more than you would win to take those teams. Otherwise, it's kind of anybody's game in a lot of cases. And let's start with the American League. We can work our way from west to east, I guess, bias on my part, being out here in Southern California. So when we look at the AL West this year, how do you expect that to go down? I don't want to make you upset, but I, th- I think it's time. I think it's your time. This is uh, this is the Angels division this year. I, I really believe it. Ooh. I am completely and probably foolishly buying into the Otani is here and he's ready 
So I think with him on board, they have three bona fide MVP candidates in Rendon and Trout and Otani. Um, and I think this is their year. I think they could do a lot of beating up on Texas and Seattle. And I think it's going to be close at the top, but I see the Angels taking this one. Um, yeah. I have to say, you you mentioned you hope that wouldn't upset me. I would be over the moon if you are right. So, yeah, if anything, you just got me maybe a little bit more excited than I should be, even in the season where hope already springs eternal. So I, I hope like hell that you're right there. I can't say I made the same pick. We'll get to that in a bit, but I love where you're going there. Yeah, and I, I think I'm on the same page with you. The Astros in second. And I think, of course, they are stacked lineup wise, and uh, the pitching is can can get by just fine. You know, Granky's still there. I had them as a wild card despite their talent because I just think there's still a bone to pick with the fans being in the stands this year. I think they kind of got through last season, and by the end, they were kind of smelling themselves again. The playoffs, they were like kind of like the annoying Astros again. I think especially early on, it might be a kickback to square one in terms of them being a little rocked by the fans in the stands and the media asking them more. Maybe there's more access to see for the media. It's not just them on Zoom call. There's more microphones in their faces about the whole cheating stuff. So I'm thinking that might be the divi- the difference in this division and at the Astros finishing at second. I hope you're right. And really quickly to interject there, I had tickets to opening day in Anaheim in 2020. Obviously, before we knew what was around the corner, they were hosting the Astros. We had friends who are Dodgers fans who wanted to come with us to kind of let the Astros hear it after the World Series. And we also knew a lot of Yankee fans. I mean, again, Allison's a big Yankee fan. That was going to be, I think, an equal split. Angels, Dodgers, and Yankee fans all just really ready to let Houston hear it. And it would have been a season long of that. So, I mean, if anybody really uh, won in 2020 outside of the Dodgers, I think the Astros were lucky. And I would not be bummed if you're right that it's going to catch up with him in some way this year. For sure. For sure. And the rest of the division, I can be brief with, you know, the athletics credit to them. They do more with less every single season. I think they finished nestled in third place, you know, probably getting some solid wins over Seattle and Texas, but comfortably behind the Angels and Astros, I think. And then, you know, Mariners and Rangers flip a coin. I have Seattle fourth, Texas fifth. Um, kind of gets into the, um, I know we had discussed via text and everything, who's trying this year? You know, who is actually <laughs> saying we want to play this season with the hopes of being successful and not just trying to bring in ticket revenue and just get financials. You know, it's just the Mariners and Rangers, you look at their lineups and it's just not a lot to get excited about. And um, yeah, so they'll probably be the whipping boys for quite a few of these teams in the West. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point there at the bottom of the division. I had Eno Saris of The Athletic on the show last week, and he made a good point about the Rangers, a team not expected to do much, and there's good reason for that. But their GM has already pretty much gone through a full rebuild with nothing to show for it, and they've got full capacity from day one. So they might be that rare team where it appears as if the cupboard's there, but they might not be major sellers during the season, more so because the GM's trying to keep his job than for the bigger picture, you know, long-term success of the franchise. But even with that said, I, I can't disagree with picking them to, you know, bring up the rear in the AL West. I wish I shared your pick for the Angels to win the division. Just trying to be objective and take the emotion out of it. I went with the Astros. I think of the three division winners in the AL, they'll probably be the weakest, but I think they get there. And I went with the A's taking second as a wild card pick. To your point, 
every year at this time, it just seems like there are things that we try to project, but there are immeasurables when it comes to how efficiently and intelligently run they are as a franchise. So Houston one, Oakland two, and then the Angels. I hope you're right and I'm wrong, but I've got them finishing third, somewhere right around 500. And this is probably going to be my one rant of this recording. I've just got to get it off my chest. So sorry if it seems long-winded or bothers anybody, but this team has so much talent. They're so fun to watch. To your point, Trout, Otani, Rendon, there are superstars on this team. They're all capable of winning the MVP award. Otani is, you know, the real life Steve Nebraska, perhaps. (laughs) And yet they're so bad at winning games and they're wasting the prime of a historically great player. I think a lot of that goes right to the top with a meddling, selectively stingy owner. Artie Moreno is the driving force behind the albatross of a contract that they've given Albert Pujols. And make no mistake about it, he's a Hall of Famer, but that's not for his stint with the Angels. This is finally going to be his last year. But in addition to Pujols, Moreno orchestrated the Josh Hamilton debacle, both bringing him in and then burning that bridge in the incredibly you know, toxic way it played out in public. So that was a black mark on the franchise under Moreno. He also, despite insisting on guys like Pools and Hamilton, has not spent on pitching in terms of a multi-year deal for a starting pitcher since signing CJ Wilson the same day that they signed Bujols in 2011. So almost a decade without investing in starting pitching when you've got Mike Trout on your team. That's a tough one to figure out. And then I know I'm mentioning some some deals that took place years ago, but as recently as last year, his impatience cost them the chance to get Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling from the Dodgers in exchange for Luis Renjifo, who's a minor league infielder that won't even be on an opening day roster. Either one of those players, Peterson or Stripling, they're not superstars, but either one of them would be worth Renjifo in a one-for-one deal. You could have had both. And there was a hang-up with a deal the Dodgers were making with the Red Sox involving Mookie Betts and a relief pitcher that also would have been involved, I think, in a separate deal with the Twins. Things just got messy. Moreno had perhaps the best deal out of all four of those teams, and he just decided to bail. So that was really disappointing. And, And beyond that, he just doesn't spend on baseball operations. And if we look at it in Southern California, I'll just say the LA area, the Dodgers baseball operations staff is about 50% bigger than the Angels. And Artie Moreno, for for all his riches, he kind of likes to cry poor at times. I know a lot of owners do. But you can't blame the size of your baseball operations staff on the luxury tax tied to player payroll. I think that's where just stinginess kicks in. And that's where we see player development. I mean, when's the last time after Trout, you know, how many good players have the Angels brought up? They've made, you know, Rendon seems to be a good free agent signing. They've took some swings at misses and misses with guys like Hamilton. I'd say Pools is a clear miss. Wilson didn't really meet his potential. Um, It's just amazing how they have a guy like Trout and can't do anything with it. And I think that's directly tied to the top of the organization. So despite all their talent, going to go with the Angels finishing third in the West. And then I'll just pick up the pace by saying, I agree with you, Seattle and Seattle in fourth, Texas bringing up the rear in fifth. Excellent. And yeah, that news about the Rangers, that's a great point about keeping the fans, you know, wanting to come. And that's kind of a concern I have about the season as a whole. If so many teams are saying we're probably not going to succeed, you know, whatever. I'm just thinking about like kids grow, like we talked about kids growing up in baseball and they didn't have last season. And even now, if they're going to see so many games this year where it's either my bad team playing another bad team and awful baseball or a legitimate team just smashing my team. Like, is that really like the culture you want to foster? And like, not to say you want fair weather fans, but like, 
a lot of the national media is concerned about, you know, baseball's future and making the game engaging. I don't think the way to do that is to have more than half the teams completely non-competitive and just putting a bad product on the field. So I'm hoping I'm wrong like that. I'm hoping a lot of these teams show better than their rosters, better than the some of their parts, because it looks like there's going to be a lot of ugly baseball out there. Yeah. Yeah. It might be another year of the haves and have nots. Certainly, uh, you know, the, the, Three Southern California teams, both New York teams, seem like they should be in a position to be on the, uh, you know, the better end of it. But there's there's a lot across the rest of the country that, you know, might be having a lot to be desired. And I guess on that note, uh, a couple of teams in the AL Central should be pretty competitive. A few probably won't be. But how do you see the AL Central shaking out this year? The AL Central was when I was very close to picking some chaos here. I, I almost went the chaos route because I was I was looking at my picks, not very happy with a lot of the favorites I took. I did end up going with the White Sox to finish first. Mm-hmm. Um, just too loaded in their lineup, and they're getting better and better each year. They had the reigning MVP, as you said, and a really solid bullpen. Second, Kansas City Royals. I mm-hmm. was close. I wanted to be crazy. I saw a plus four. What was forty to one to win the division? I, I saw a map the other day. Uh, I have plus eight eighty to make the playoffs. You know, I'll be walking the bridge and cashing that one. KC <laughs> is is my chaos team this year. I just in doing fantasy baseball research throughout that lineup is just relevant professional hitters. You know, they they brought in Benintendi, who you know say what you want, but he's still an authentic player. You know, and just looking around the diamond, they have Merrifield. They have the speedster Mondesi. They brought in Carlos Santana, Perez behind the plate. It's just actual hitters that, especially maybe with a dead and ball, it won't just be home run or bust. They could put the ball in play. And I'm taking KC to finish second in this division. Um, the Twins, I have some concerns. They seem like a real home run or bust team. So if this ball is going to be changed, I have them finishing in third, which I know a lot of the projections have them at the top. But the Twins third, Cleveland in fourth. Uh, I think some former Mets now will decide a lot there with Rosario and Jimenez hopefully being this the um, centerpiece of their order for this year and future years and their pitching is always fantastic in Cleveland you know so I then in fourth and the Tigers in fifth my three words of preparation bad 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 for Detroit <laughs> <laughs> well said nice and succinct and I love the, you know, I think this could still be, if you're right, especially about the Royals, this could be where we see some chaos in a really fun way. So I just did some looking at live odds. I'm seeing them now down to 30 to one to win the division, but still eight to one to make the playoffs. So if you do want to make that bet, that value does still seem to be intact. And yeah, this is another division where we've got the same two bottom teams. And at the top, I see things a little differently. I did go with the twins to win it. I like your point about the ball being an X factor this season and that could definitely affect them. So this isn't necessarily being really high on the twins, but more a factor of not being really high on anybody else in the division with the white Sox, You touched on a lot of the talent they're bringing back. I think an X factor, this will be really interesting to watch as much as I try to be analytical and stick to the numbers. I'm not sure that Tony Larusa, for all his credentials, winning world series with multiple teams this day and age has what it takes to really manage a clubhouse in 2021. So I, I'm just interested. I wish, you know, if we had, you know, a, a reality TV, if there was a hard knocks of baseball throughout the regular season, um, I think the White Sox would be a really interesting one to follow. So that seems like it could just get, you know, really hot and cold, but 
maybe that's me going to narrative land. So I'll leave it at that. I I would love to see the Royals make a run at the playoffs. I picked them to finish third. And then, yeah, to round it out, Indians and Tigers. Really good point on the White Sox manager. Yeah, it's hard to see him trying to connect to these low low 20s players and trying to – and certainly not to a great start with a big injury in the outfield there for Chicago. Yeah, so they're, they're still getting a lot of buzz, but we'll see what they can overcome even from the get-go this season. And in the AL East, I'm guessing the team will both have winning the division. Maybe not. Um, the Yankees have already had a pretty big injury too with Luke Voigt. But before we get more into them – Let's just go through your AL East picks in general. For sure. In the AL East, I do have the Yankees won. I feel like I shot my shot last year picking Tampa in division. They actually did. I'm not gonna have lightning well strike done. twice. I'm not gonna have lightning strike twice on that. I think this is the Yankees year to capture the division. The 162 game grinds. They just have players who have a reputation and they have players playing for a contract, namely um Mr. Judge. And I think this is a year where they really put a lot together and this might be almost a runaway for the Yankees in the East. Um, second, I have the Blue Jays in Toronto, um, the young loaded lineup. I think it, I'm a little worried about the whole Canada border complications. It's not something you want to see from a team you want to do well. You just want them to have a normal season, but I just think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Um, the Rays I have in third. I'm bearish on the Rays this year. I don't like how that World Series ended. I think there are bad vibes now where they've gone from goofy and great and look what they're doing. Now I think they're going to have a, a steep fall this year. I, I am very worried about the vibes coming off that World Series blunder, if you want to call it that, and taking Blake Snell out of that game. So I had them finishing in third. Uh, fourth, I think the Red Sox will bounce back in some way, especially the offense, but pitching staff is just really really tough to look at in boston and uh the orioles in distant fifth it melted my heart to see matt harvey made the roster i hope the best for him and but that's really uh harvey and of course mancini is a great story in baltimore but i don't think it's going to translate to too many wins yeah i think we have a lot of alignment here uh Again, the same two last place teams. We do agree on the Yankees at the top. I flip-flop second and third here. I had the Rays as a wild card team. And by the way, do you have the Royals as the wild card or would Toronto be your other wild card pick for the AL? I, I whipped out. I, I took the the Blue Jays, my other wild card. Gotcha. Okay. Well, if you're wrong and the Royals do take that spot, you've got an eight to one payout to look forward to. And if you're right, then you've got pride from this appearance on props and hops. So yeah, I also had an AL East wildcard team. I get what you're saying. The fallout from the way the world series ended um, there. It's not a non-factor, the human element and all this, it could be a whole other podcast. So I won't go too far down the rabbit hole. I think there is a very interesting case to be made. It just requires, I think an open-mindedness to more nuance than we're getting from mainstream media that could explain the Blake Snell decision. I believe I heard Preston Johnson explain it really well on the Bet the Process podcast right after it happened. That might be wrong. He might have been guesting somewhere else, but um, there are well-written breakdowns that I don't need to regurgitate here. I, I get the frustration and the way it worked out immediately afterward. There's the human element. You can't separate that move from what happened immediately afterward. But I do think you know, in the long run, the process is the result. And I think they're the most intelligently run organization in sports. So while the Yankees are a juggernaut, I'm going to keep my wagon. Uh, I'm going to stay hitched to the Rays wagon. And then Toronto in third with 
uh, all that DNA pedigree they've got. They'll be a fun team to watch. To your point, might be a turbulent season, but I bet their regular season one total under last year because they weren't going to be playing in Toronto, and they went over pretty comfortably. So they they showed that they could do it, and over the course of a full season, it'll be interesting to see how that applies. And then, yeah, not too much to add once we get to the bottom of the division with the Red Sox and especially Baltimore, probably a distant fifth. Yeah, and um, I totally buy that with the Rays. I'm sure there were a lot of um, knowledgeable things that went into the decision. I I just wish they still had Snell, most of all. Like, you know, they, they kind of shit yeah. them out. So I, I think that's what's really weighing on my mind. It's just like, hopefully that team is in order and everyone's, you know, rowing in the same direction there. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, again, another thing that Eno brought up when I had him on last week, as much as he is an analytics guy, and he just used to swear by the numbers, the more he covers baseball and speaks with players, and especially once he gets back in the clubhouse, but the more time he spent doing that in his career, he realizes, yeah, like there is absolutely the human element in play here. And it's really tough to quantify, but it matters. So we might get a pretty quick read on that with the Rays this season. Uh, yeah, so AL East, a very interesting division. Um, another interesting division we could see, at least at the top, transitioning to the National League. How do you see the NL West going? Looking forward to this race all year. I think it's going to be razor thin the whole way. Um, you can write it down, Sharpie. You know, Dodgers winning division, wild card for the Padres on my book. Um, in thinking about bold predictions, I wanted um, I'm putting this in light pencil for a bold prediction that I think there's a chance that we see a um, a game 163 for this division. I, I think it might be that close, mm. and it would be fantastic to see who gets like a top C and who has to go to the wild card game. That would be so cool. Um, but I just can't risk looking too foolish and not picking the Dodgers. I certainly wouldn't bet them at, at that low of a ROI, but um, I'm going to pick Dodgers first, Padres second, um, and the rest of the division might have a tough go of it. I, I My personal order, San Francisco third, Arizona fourth and Colorado a distant fifth. But um, besides uh, Dodgers and Padres, um, the rest of the division is probably just going to be trying to stay competitive and try to stay close to each other more than the divisional lead. Yeah, well, we're in lockstep there at this division. We have complete alignment, so I won't add too much to the way you just put that very well. To your point, Dodgers division odds right now, you're looking in the range of minus 240. So there's a reason they're a prohibitive favorite, but that's knowing the variance that can play out over 162, knowing the Padres are really coming for them. I, I totally get any hesitation to bet on it at that price. The one thing I'll add with this division, the Padres should be a real blast to watch. And I'm excited for San Diego to finally have a team in which the quality of the team on the field can live up to the quality of the beer at Echo Park. San Diego's a beer mecca and that stadium really does it right. It's not just... Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light all over the place. You can get pretty much anything there. And it's nice that we might see, you know, pretty much anything unfold on the field when it comes to that team finally reaching heights that it hasn't hit for a long time. I think 98, they went to the World Series. Since then, it's been pretty dark. And uh, I think we're seeing a lot of light at the end of that tunnel with this team. Yeah, top of my list for a long time, Petco Park. You just hear so many great things about it. And um yeah, to think that they have a team that they can really get behind, you know, it's just it's wonderful to see the Padres go for it when so many teams don't want to go for it. And, you know, understanding they may have more financial benefits and flexibility, but it, it was just refreshing to see that they really wa want this thing. So, 
Yeah, they're they're definitely all in. Uh, it'll be a very top-heavy NL West race. We're we're both expecting that. And the NL Central, I'm thinking things are quite a bit more wide open. So as we move on to that division, how do you see that one breaking down? I'm going to um, double down on the Brewers finishing in first. I think Yelich had a goofy season last year. He had a really really rough injury at the end of the prior season. So for him to get everything back in order in such a weird year and 50 games. And he has been tearing it up this spring. I don't put too much stock in that, but at least he's showing that it might've just been purely that really rough injury he had. So I think it all hinges on Yelich, but I do have the Brewers uh, winning this division. Uh, and second, I have the Reds. Um, it's an exciting lineup. And in the analytics that I read from last season, apparently the Reds just had the worst luck like unfathomable luck in terms of their batted ball data. And just, they were just hitting the ball. It was just right at a guy. And it was just like, I, I saw a few articles on that. So I, I do believe in their offense. So I got Brewers, Reds, the Cubbies in third, just a real bad vibe going around Chicago. I feel like, I, I feel like the only thing you hear coming out of there is how miserable Chris Bryant is. And it's just, it, 2016 is a long time ago now. So it's, I think it's the same core trying to run it back. And when one of the core is just miserable there, I just don't see that adding up. So I have them settling in third. Uh, I have St. Louis in fourth and Pittsburgh, a distant fifth. Yeah, this is going to be the one where uh, I probably look foolish. I picked, I went for a little bit, a little bit more chaos here. I didn't go too far off the reservation. Uh, but this is the one right after the NL West was our first division with total alignment. Probably the only one we'll have like that. Uh, this one is probably going to be our biggest discrepancy. Really quickly, I'm curious, after everything you said about the Cubs, is there a reason why you still think they will finish higher than the Cardinals? Well, I think that with the – I think their core still can do something. I think even if they're playing for their playing for their next contract and playing for their next team, sure. they still have enough there. And I do like their pitching. I, I do respect what the Cardinals didn't bring in Arenado. That could be a, a monster MVP caliber bat in their lineup. Um, so I do like the Cardinals. And as I see here, the one thing I wrote in my preparation, Cardinals 4 could be a very bad pick. <laughs> that, that's what I put. Um, I, I said Arenado, you know, Goldschmidt, Carlson, it could be a monster lineup. I, I thought their pitching was a little iffy. But yeah, if, if you could flip the Cubs and Cardinals, wouldn't shock me the least. Got it. Okay. I might've, uh, without knowing it, cherry picked one of your, uh, more uncomfortable picks, but that's okay. I've got plenty of discomfort with my picks in this division. Although that last question kind of tipped my hands. I have the Cardinals winning it. And then I have the Cubs in second. So this is where I got goofy. I think there's a lot of merit to everything you said. This is more because kind of like the AL central, there's just so much up in the air. And I feel like if we're going to see something crazy, um, I, I don't think the Astros or A's will suddenly get stupid. I don't think the Yankees are going to suck or the Rays will stop being smart. I don't think the Dodgers and Padres are going to, you know, totally tank. So this seems like one of those windows where if we see some chaos, this could be a fun spot to see it play out. So yeah, not as, as much as I try to be grounded in reason and logic, uh, I can't explain why the Cubs should finish second in this division. I'm just picking it and we'll leave it there. That leaves your division winner, the Brewers, in third, which, to your point, that might be my very stupid pick looking back at this in hindsight. Although I love the research you did on the Reds about their just bad luck with batted balls. That makes me want to elevate them from fourth. So if I had to repick this whole division minus the Pirates, I might rejigger some things based on your information. But yeah, for now, I'll go with 
Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers, Reds, and then of course the Pirates dwelling in the cellar. Although they did recently sign my little league opponent and high school teammate, Trevor Cahill to a contract. So it looks like he's going to be in their rotation. So I've got just some personal rooting interest in a miracle from Pittsburgh, not expecting it, but I would love to be wrong on picking them to be a distant fifth in the NL central. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Trevor Kayla. I remember you saying way back when you used to, uh, used to ball with him and I'm hearing a lot about their, um, I think he still qualifies as a rookie, but key Brian Hayes at third base is supposed to be a, a lights out player. So hopefully he gives the fans something to come to the stadium for, because it's, you know, it's, it's tough when, be that bad. Yeah. I mean, if you know a team's going to be struggling, at least if there's something to look forward to and a young guy like that, that can be promising for the future, that might be all it takes to, you know, give whether it's younger fans or just season ticket holders who want some signs of life, that might be their lifeline to see things through over the next couple of years. But yeah, pirates, I mean, pirates are kind of like the NL's Baltimore in the sense that there, there is almost no hope for them, but again, it would be fun to be wrong in either one of those cases. One Spot one of us will definitely be wrong because I'm sure we have different division winners in the National League East. How do you foresee this one going down? And and let me guess, the Mets are winning it and they're going to win it by about 50 games. So here, here's here's my deal. I I want to be true to myself here. And coming into the season, I thought this was a razor thin division. It could a whole bunch of different scenarios could happen. I thought the Mets would win the division. But in my mind, I thought the Mets would win by the skin of their teeth. And that was before their legitimate number two starter went down. And we're not sure when he's coming back. So it doesn't make sense in my mind if I thought the Mets would squeak by at full strength to lose such a key part for an extended period to start the year and still pick them. And I look at this Braves lineup and I see nightmares all across the board. There is no easy out in that lineup. And I'm not looking forward to the, all the games against them this year. And I do have it switched with Atlanta coming in first mm-hmm. and the Mets coming in second as a wild card. But I think it's a situation where the Mets might start slow as they wait for their pitchers to come back. You know, Carrasco hopefully is a lot to come back and who knows what's Cindergaard, but maybe they start slow and then they make a really, really find themselves in the second half and get ready for the playoffs in that way. So I don't feel great doing it, but I have Atlanta one, New York two, Philly and Washington, you know, flip a coin. I, I put Philly in third, um, you know, Harper, Real Muto. I like McCutcheon a lot in that lineup. And Hoskins had like career revival. It looked like he was heading out of the league, but he really bounced back. I like the lineup a little more. And the Nationals, despite having uh, Soto, who's going to drive me crazy the next 15 years, probably, if he stays in Washington, <laughs> staying in the division, um, I just, you know, Scherzer kind of scares me now. Not in a way that like I'm a Mets fan. I'm scared. I'm just scared that, that he's going to fall off at some point. And if he does, I really don't think they have enough behind them. So I have Washington fourth and then Miami, despite their Cinderella run last year, um, finishing comfortably in fifth. Wow. So I love how dumb I looked for just assuming how the Mets winning in a landslide. And I think I had just said after the NLS that that was going to be our only division with complete alignment because now we've got a second division where we're in lockstep. And I also love the, the reason that you're bringing to the table here. I think I've gone down more paths about narratives in this conversation than I have in the last year of sports betting talk and you've come with so many good pieces of research and really come in a more objective angle. I feel like, 
I'm generally an analytical thinker who's trying to develop also a proper appreciation for the human element. I think in general, it can get really overplayed in the mainstream media, but I also know that these guys aren't robots. So I'm trying to toe that balance, definitely skewing more analytical. And I feel like you might be on the flip side of the coin. Again, continuing thread with, with Allison dubbing us the odd <laughs> couple in that sense from our days as roommates back in 05, 06. Um, you know, maybe more having a better sense for the emotion or the pulse of what, you know, people are really thinking and feeling and also being able to apply some, you know, some good numbers and logic to it. So I love how we're coming at it from different angles, both, I think, working toward a healthier middle ground, and it has us totally aligned on this division. So nothing to add on what you said to the NL East, except my three words that I jotted down for the Mets. Finally, their year, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> that that's that's the feeling around here too around here in new york we're just we have felt this way before in very recent years where we th- the lineup is there you know alonzo and mcneil were a lot better than people expected them to be and they they just kind of settled in and so it's a familiar feeling where everyone's thrilled about lindor being here and the carrasco thing was really a nice cherry on top and when he went down it was just like a oh it was Similar to when the same feeling last year and Syndergaard gets Tommy John in, in March. And we say, well, if we thought the Mets are going to win and now they just lost Syndergaard, where, where does that leave us? So it's it's a kind of deja vu all over again. But hopefully this Carrasco thing gets settled by, you know, May or June, perhaps. Yeah, it'd be nice to see him back in that rotation for a good chunk of the season. But uh, either way, I, I think that's that's fair reason to flip the Braves into that number one spot. So it looks like we've pretty much got our division breakdowns played out. We, we've talked through who we think is going to be in the playoffs. So now we can get to those postseason predictions and resetting things with the American League, walking through the wildcard round through the ALCS. How do you see the AL postseason playing out? Absolutely. I'll be a little briefer on this because we know we know about the teams from our divisional preview. AO wildcard. I have Toronto over the Astros. Um, and Toronto then moves to the divisional. Well, they'll play the Yankees and the Yankees will defeat them. I have Yankees over Blue Jays and the train keeps rolling. The Angels over the White Sox in the divisional mm-hmm. round. And Bring it the- on. In the American League Championship sh- Series, unfortunately, too much Garrett Cole and too much of the Yankee lineup. The Yankees defeat the Angels in the ALCS. If the Angels make it that far, I know I would be see- I would be crushed to see them advance that stage and then bow out. But that would be such a win based on expectations for right now. So again, I I don't even have them in my playoff picture, and I am hoping like crazy that you're right on this. We do have the same AL pennant winner. I went with Tampa Bay and Oakland as the wildcard teams with Tampa Bay advancing and then falling victim to the Yankees. And then I had the Twins advancing over Houston. So my ALCS Yankees over the Twins. So a few different teams in the mix, but same AL champion. I wonder if we're going to see the same thing in the National League. What are your NL postseason picks? So my NL postseason picks begin with maybe the game of the year in the wildcard game. The Padres defeating the Mets in the wildcard game, which Jacob DeGrom, you know I love you to the moon. I don't think it'll be your fault in that game, but I just see the Padres overcoming it. It might be scarily reminiscent to that 2016 wildcard game where Syndergaard was brilliant for the Mets and the Giants hit a back-breaking home, uh, home run off, off the Mets' bullpen. But I do see the Padres over the Mets in the NL wildcard, and then the Padres upsetting the Dodgers 
in the divisional mm. as well. I just that Dodgers rotation, I just don't like you know, it's kind of the same thing with Scherzer that I could say for Kershaw as well. Like, is he just gonna be that same guy? And if he's not, what happens? Um, so and same thing with Walker Bueller, you're hearing a lot of things, innings limits and all it's just I, I'm I'm not ready to pick the Dodgers to be the walkthrough, everyone seems to think. So Padres over Dodgers and Braves over Brewers and the NLCS. I'm just I'm tripling down. The Padres beat the Braves. Man, another one where I'm I'm hoping your picks play out more accurately than mine. That would be fascinating to watch. And either way, I do think the NL postseason, at least right now, shapes up to have more of the interesting potential matchups. We had the same exact wild card round, and I too picked the Padres to advance past the Mets. I ended things early. If the Padres are playing the Dodgers in a you know best of seven series, I it's it's just tough to put the Dodgers uh, bowing out to San Diego, definitely possible, much smaller sample size than a full season, but I went with the Dodgers over the Padres. And then that would also be a rematch from the NLDS last year. So I'm, I'm going with the same matchup, same result. The other divisional round matchup Braves over the Cardinals. Uh, by the way, I think I said a five game series with the Dodgers over the Padres, or I think I said seven, but if I'm remembering correctly now, I think it is still best of five this year. I think they've, They've gone back to the classic format. I think so, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hope I'm right on that. Let's let's say it's a best of five. I'm still picking the Dodgers over the Padres, Braves over the Cardinals. And in the NLCS, it's boring. It's boring. It's boring. It's also a rematch from last year. Same result, probably less dramatic, Dodgers over the Braves. So we do have a different World Series matchup. Both of them could be really exciting. But tell me what you're expecting once we get to the Fall Classic. Once we get to the Fall Classic... I, I can't leave him. I, I can't jump off the train. I have the Padres over the Yankees in six games, 1998 revenge. When I first started becoming a fan, you know, it's one of the first world series. I really do remember and just hearing about Trevor Hoffman's the most automatic pitcher in the history of baseball. And then finding out really quickly that the term automatic is a relative term. And I had the Padres. And when I checked, they were plus 800, the Padres to win it all. So, Decent value there, and uh, Padres over the Yankees in six. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing eight to one on the Padres right now, so that aligns with what's currently out there. And another case where, man, I would love for you to be right. I remember that '98 World Series. I think it was Game One. The Padres jumped out to lead. I believe Tony Gwynn hit a really big homer, and I have this memory of Mark Langston, who was pitching for the Angels when I got into baseball, but by this point was with the Padres pitching to Tino Martinez. And I feel like it was something like a, a one and two, two and two count. He had two strikes on him. Fastball right down the middle. Martinez takes it, called the ball. And then it, if it wasn't the pitch after that, it was that same at bat. I believe it was a Tino Martinez grand slam. that just blew the doors open. And that, that might've been my first time just going on tilt as a sports fan from seeing that pitch go right down the middle, knowing the innings over the Padres have probably got game one to, what in the world is this? And seeing how rowdy Yankee Stadium was, I'm like, okay, something just something just felt dirty at that point. So I'd love the Padres to be able to correct that 23 years after the fact. Still <laughs> waiting for it. I hope they get that shot this year. I'm going with the Dodgers over the Yankees. Dream scenario for Fox in terms of the ratings. People might actually watch the World Series if it's these two teams. And then for the Dodgers, you know, I, I think they have the pieces to go back to back after that drought. They hadn't won it for more than three decades, but this looks to me like a case of when it rains, it pours. So I would love to see the Padres do it. I would love to see somebody other than the Yankees come out of the AL, but 
if I'm if I'm thinking what's most likely to happen, it probably is that Dodgers Yankees matchup. I think it could go the full seven games, and at least if it's two teams that neither of us actively roots for, hopefully it's just a fascinating matchup of two of the heavyweights just battling it out night after night for seven full games. Yeah, yeah, I'm at the point now where after everything that's gone on, where like I just can't wait for hopefully full sellout stands, baseball like playoff tension. It it would just be you know especially for this year, a lot of excitement, no matter who's in it, I'll I'll be really excited for a a real world series. Yeah. Likewise. Well, we've also got some individual awards to get excited about Uh, again, starting with the AL let's go with MVP. Who do you think is going to take home that hardware in 2021? So my mindset for this is always make sure the playoff teams you pick are represented in the awards. That's, That's just my mindset. Make sure it makes sense in that way. Um, and to really turn back the clock and show how old we are, because I'm sure you probably picked his daddy for a few of these. I'm taking Vlad Jr. I have bought in. Mm. I am taking him. I have him at plus 3,500. I just think the Blue Jays have a solid lineup, and he's just going to be the one that's always driving them in. I, I, I feel like their young stars are really good at getting on base and spraying line drives, and he's just going to have counting stats that are insane, and I have him winning the MVP. I was sure when you said you're going to align it with your playoff teams. And since you had the angels going so far that this was going to be your year to pick trout, but I love the Vlad junior pick. And uh, if you got 35 to one, I would say that's looking like good value at this stage. When I check the odds right now, I'm seeing 25 to one. So if nothing else, if if something big doesn't change between now and opening day, which is just around the corner, you'll at least have some closing line value. And uh, that, that would be a fun one to see play out. I did go with trout, even though I don't have them in the playoffs. Another thing, I learned speaking with Eno last week was that as an MVP voter, he said that the award voting is skewing in the direction of wins above replacement and more of the advanced stats versus the days of Trout versus Cabrera. And oh, Cabrera's team made the playoffs, so he gets the award. Um, it seems like it's come a long way in the past decade or so. So yeah, I, I would love to see it. I think it's so funny that he he is still trying not to be biased as an Angels fan, but I think it's it's tough to argue that he's not the best player in baseball or at least right up there with everybody else. But I know they're more exciting personalities, but Tatis, Betts, Soto, Acuna, it seems like Trout's suddenly kind of getting forgotten a little bit. And I think this is a year where, you know, we might see him reassert his dominance. All bets are off when it comes to the Angels surrounding him with half-decent talent to really compete and win some games. But I think he's the best player in the AL by a wide enough margin. He can still win this award. And it's chalky. He's the only player in the league lined under 10 to one. And he's at about two and a half to one. So full disclosure, I haven't bet it. I tend not to you know, put my money on these needle and haystack types of bets without a binary outcome. But I, I get where the bigger payouts are enticing. I like your angle for Vlad Jr., especially if the Blue Jays make a run. I just think there's a reason that Trout's the prohibitive favorite. Yeah, I, I think... He's certainly owed a few. Like you look at his stature, like, wait, he has how many MVPs? Like, wait, what happened these other years? It's it's so silly. I guess in what I envision for the Angels, I perhaps fear a little bit of um interteam stealing votes. If Otani yeah. is who I think he is, and cannibalize it. Yeah, yeah. So it might just be yet another way Trout gets screwed out of an award. <laughs> this this would be a new one where he actually has his own teammates, you know, stealing them from him. But um, yeah, I guess that the Angels are who I hope they are they'll have more than one piece of that pie in terms of their success. Yeah. As you're you're saying that, I'm like, well, that's a good reason for him not to get the award. If it's because he has his own teammates playing so well, then, then bring it on and yeah, go ahead and give it to Vlad jr. In the national league, who do you have as your MVP? 
I kind of gave a little appetizer for it earlier. I'm going to take Yelich just with the Brewers winning that division and him just, he is a superstar player and he had a season go wrong, but when he's on, he is on. So I'm going to take him. When I last saw him, he was 15 to one, uh, which was reasonable, I think, but um, I'm going to take him with the Brewers winning the division in my book. Nice. Yeah. He still is at 15 to one as far as I'm seeing. And I'm going to go with another player who's right in that ballpark of 15 to one. I think he's picked up a little bit of steam again, since I was able to have that conversation with Eno last week, but Corey Seager is a guy who has a batted ball profile that suggests he could really break through. I think the point you made about the angels, if they're really good, the reason trout might not win it could be the same reason Seager could struggle to break through with guys like Betts and Bellinger, the top two favorites in the NL um, in a lot of places, you know, they're bringing home less the payout that implies they're much more likely to win the award. So I I get it. This is me going out on a limb, obviously much more than just taking the major chalk out of the American league. But when I look at the odds and see Seager in the range of 15 to one versus bets at seven to one or Bellinger at seven and a half to one, I feel like Seager is in that same category. So if the Dodgers, again, I'm picking them to go all the way and, and really deliver on all the hype. And if that happens, then I think Seager is squarely in the mix. So I think we've got, two 15 to one long shots who, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see either or both of them at much shorter odds come later on in the season, especially if their teams, as much as I like the idea of this vote skewing more toward wins above replacement and isolating individual performance, it definitely helps when the team around them is also doing something, even if it doesn't matter as far as how good the individual player is, I think it just helps to elevate the profile in the minds of a lot of voters who don't see these guys play every day. Yeah, and he was a monster in the playoffs last year. That could be fresh in people's minds. And if he vaults off that, it could be a nice little uh, storyline for him. Yeah, I think that's the one reason why I think he could break through on such a star-studded Dodgers team. You know, people saw him win the NLCS and World Series MVP awards kind of going away. So I think he's high enough on people's radars that this might be his first year to win a regular season MVP award as well. Um, and speaking of first-time winners, well, maybe not your guy. I know my AL Stang pick is a first-time winner. If he brings it home, we'll talk about that in a bit. But who is your AL Cy Young pick? I don't think he's a first-timer, but he's pretty off the board. Uh, I saw him at 45-1, to 1, and I'm going to take Granky on this one as really the only bona fide star in that Houston rotation and if I have them making the playoffs, maybe he puts up some numbers that are really solid in that division. So I'm going to take Granky on this one and hopefully cash in on it. Yeah, I you're making a lot of picks that I would love to see come to fruition. I'm trying to see if he – I looked at one book and he was off the board entirely, which, which might say something. I'm trying to pull up odds here in real time to get a real look at his chances because he should be – you know he's somewhere on the radar. He's a high enough profile guy, skilled enough that he should have a chance. Uh, let's see, AL, do we have him on here? Okay, I'm seeing 30 to 1 as okay. bookmaker, which is probably the sharpest offshore. So, yeah, if you took 45 to 1, then uh, that's another case where definitely getting a better number than some of the sharper books are dealing right now. Yeah, I, th- I think I brought these ones from my mobile app on, um, it was DraftKings here in, in the New Jersey area. So, um, again, those are ever-changing as we know. But I'm just looking, I, I, I like to see the teams, and I would love to take you know, Cole is not chalked to me because I'm, if he's going to Fenway all the time, if he's facing this Blue Jays lineup, if he's, you know, at least the Orioles can hit a little bit. I, I'd rather take Granky who's going up against Seattle and Texas all the time and maybe just like dominating them. 
Yeah, well, then you're going to love my pick because it's Garrett Cole. <laughs> so I'm going back to the well after last year. I get what you're saying. The ballparks and some of the opposing lineups, not the most pitcher friendly. Um, I know, again, the odds on favorite, marquee pitcher on probably the best team in the league, a little bit boring. But my angle here is looking at innings pitched. And I think this could be a really interesting year after a shortened season. A lot of Cole's competition atop the leaderboard, either young and or coming off injury. And a lot of starting pitchers across the league last year topped out around 60 innings pitched on the season. And with Cole healthy right now, he went deep in the playoffs last year. He ended up with 90 innings pitched. I think that gives him less of an on-ramp to get back to that full season workload. And just like I remember the Trout Cabrera MVP debate in 2012, Cabrera won the triple crown, but a big factor in that narrative too was that Trout hadn't played as many games. I think for MVP awards, a lot of the voters still look for games played. For a lot of the pitchers, I think they all else being equal would look toward innings pitched. So that's where I'm inclined to give a bit of a nod to Garrett Cole. So you bring up some fair points as to why he shouldn't necessarily be a prohibitive favorite, but at, at four to one, even though he's the favorite, it's not saying it's anywhere in the realm of likely to happen. So I think I'm just going to stubbornly go back to the well with my same Cy Young pick from last year and hope it pans out this time around with Garrett Cole. Wonderful, wonderful segue for me going to the NL Cy Young. <laughs> wonderful segue because uh, the King is coming home. The King is taking his crown back. I got DeGrom winning this, you know, Bauer put together all his science and his metrics to get a big contract. Now, enough of the nonsense. DeGrom hopefully takes his crown back. I, I believe he's the best pitcher in baseball. Um, hopefully seeing the Marlins plenty of times and, you know, he'll, he'll do enough. And hopefully the Mets, I feel like wins are appropriately being devalued year after year because they are just so mm-hmm. fluky sometimes. And that's been DeGrom's just kryptonite. He have a wonderful year and be, you know, 11 and eight for some reason when it could easily be, much, much better, but I am going to be chalk on the NL Cy Young and take DeGrom. Yeah, can't fault that logic for a second. I did go with a different pick, so this is the league where I got only slightly more ambitious, nothing as impressive as Grinky if he comes through out of the AL. I went with Max Scherzer, and I know when you talked about him earlier that this might throw off some red flags, you brought up some very fair points, but I I see why the odds are behind You know the... 2018 to 2019 back-to-back winner DeGrom and even last year's winner Bauer. But similar to the angle with Cole, I, I know Scherzer's getting up there. I believe he's this is his age 36 season, if I'm not mistaken. But I I am thinking that he'll still have what it takes to get in that workload. He is, I think, a workhorse as much as any active starter. So if innings pitch matters more than a typical year in 2021, because a lot of guys, you know, the the 200 innings standard of the past is probably going to be closer to 170, 180 this year. And if you've got a workhorse, that could be enough to possibly push him over the top. And, you know, as much as DeGrom and Bauer were very impressive in their recent Cy Young seasons, this is a case kind of like Trout in the AL MVP race where he's not, you know, Trout's prohibitive favorite and, and Scherzer is not a major underdog. But I feel like just what I'm hearing and reading, it seems like these guys who have the pedigree, we know what they can do, kind of getting a little bit overlooked. I get they're not the most exciting names after all they've done for so many years, but I don't think that takes away from the talent they could still have in 2021. So I like your DeGrom pick, probably much more likely than Scherzer, but just focusing on workload and and what I would expect to happen this year, I'm going to roll with Scherzer. Oh, his his pedigree, his resume speaks for itself. Yeah, when he if he's on, it's a fantastic pick. Yeah, it's it's more of a health thing for me. But um, as a Mets fan, especially if if he's healthy, it's going to be a 
excuse me, Nightmare Against Atlanta, now Nightmare Against Washington too, because um, he he brings it. But we'll see. Yeah, common thread here. I think a lot of your more interesting picks. I hope you're right. Uh, a lot of mine, you're probably hoping I'm wrong. <laughs> I can totally understand why. Let's see if that continues as we get into regular season win totals. So to set this up, full disclosure, lines are really tight when we're this close to opening day. So I would consider definitely all of my picks to be leans or small bets at best. So to put some stakes on this, we can take the conversation offline if you want. Or one thing I thought of was instead of actually putting our money on all these when the lines are so tight at this point, maybe the loser has to ship a winner a four-pack of their choice. Or if we get the same record, then we ship each other a four-pack. We could do something like that. Fantastic. And I know your expertise on beers. When I came to visit you in California, you took me to some of the best places ever. So I look forward to it. And I hope I uh, hope I win this. Yeah, I don't know. You'll, you may have a Monkish or Highland Park four pack headed your way come the World Series. But for now, let's dig into the regular season looks at win total over unders. Let's start with your favorite pick. And again, I have these numbers here from my mobile app. If, if yours are way different, let me know. Uh, I, I took three from this. My first one, as I explained before, I have Tampa going under. My number's 86. Maybe yours is similar. Uh, I'm sure I'll be flexible on this, but I have Tampa going under. All right. This is a really, this is going to be a fun conversation. So I'm looking at Tampa. I see 86 and a half, but it's juiced to the under. So I'd say we can call 86 a push, you know, and the reason I'm saying we could call 86 a push is because I have them over. So oh boy, oh <laughs> what boy. a way to kick it off. So I, I think when we went through our division breakdowns, we can probably uh, figure out where both of us are looking at this from. But how would you break down your pick on the raise to go under 86? I could just see, you know, I, I don't like, you know, their best pitcher, you know, quite a long time. Snell just under the radar leaving. And I think perhaps some of the novelty of their openers and all of that, maybe some teams going to get used to that. And just in a way where they skew towards more, I should say less quirky wins than they're used to, where maybe teams are a little more prepared for what they're bringing to the table and get a little more adjusted to it. And their lineup does not look that imposing to me either. So they do more with less, but I just think, and call me a fool because they keep doing it, but there's going to be some point where like they just have a nightmare season. And I think this might be a candidate. Yeah. I hear there. It's totally on the table for me. It comes back to the projections versus the immeasurables. I think the Rays again, will get my vote for the smartest run team in all of sports, not even just baseball. And again, getting back to my conversation with, Eno last week where he mentioned getting more experience as an analytics writer, but still developing more of a belief in the human element, not just honing in on the numbers and it's really tough to quantify, but I think that that intelligence they have in their front office and their baseball operations staff is real. So the loss of Snell is probably going to sting. The way last season ended doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I totally get it. But I think over the course of a full season, the cream rises to the top, not only with the talent on the roster, but with the intelligence, you know, kind of making the operation run. So this will be a fun one going head to head on Tampa Bay. I'll take them over 86. You can take them under 86 and uh, actually to make it more fair I, I would say to eliminate a push we can call it 86 and a half that that sets the bar a little bit higher for me but also makes it so that your number of 86 is a win number for you if they come in right on the nose there deal cool all right so tampa bay 86 and a half going head to head what is your second favorite regular season win total pick 
my second one, I, I beat the drum for them before, but I got to take my, my Kansas City Royals this year. I saw it at 74 and a half on my app and um, comfortably taking that. If you see a little more, I'm even fine with that, but I'm taking the Royals to really surprise and hopefully, because again, there's a perfectly logical way that they're the fourth best team in this division. It could be a nightmare, but I got to stick to my guns on this and take KC over. All right, and uh, I'll give you a better number. I'm seeing 73 and a half. It is just a little bit. It's minus 130 to the over, but I think the big, uh, a flat line on these would be minus 115 typically. So to pay 15 cents to get a full game would be worth it, I I think. So we can say a little bit of vague, but Royals over 73 and a half totally aligns with the way you broke down the AL Central handicap. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. I hope they don't make me look really, really bad. I hope I'm still invited back. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they can't. I think the expectations are such that they can't make you look too bad. It's an interesting pick, and if it pans out, it could make you look really good. So they'll but they'll definitely be a team I'll be keeping my eye on this year. I'll I'll keep my second pick pretty short because it's a similar handicap to the first one. Also taking Oakland over eighty six and a half. That one I am seeing for the flat minus one fifteen. Again, similar to Tampa Bay, maybe not quite as smart, but it's one of the smartest run teams in baseball. Again, their their intelligence tough to quantify, but I think it's real. Every year at this time, I've been burned in the past just looking at their roster and saying, there's no way they're winning all those games again this year. There's no way they're threatening the Angels. And I wake up in mid-September, and the A's are just lapping the Angels somehow. So 86.5, not the highest bar to set for Oakland, so I'll take them to the over. Yeah, I like that one. That's such a classic. That's so true. There there are those teams where you look at the parts and you say, okay, whoa. How are they going to win any games? And then they're just rolling and it's a, uh, it, it's a good pick. Thank you. We'll see if it's good over the course of a full season, but feeling pretty good about it and getting down to our third picks. What is your number three? Uh, I got to revisit our truly chaos division, the uh, NL central. And if I'm going to take the Brewers to win it, I saw their number 83 and a half and they better do that if they're going to win it. So I uh, going to double down on them and, and take the Brewers going over. Cool. I have my third pick in this same division. It is not involving the same team, but for the Brewers, another case like your last pick with the Royals, I'm seeing a slightly better number, 83 for minus 125. It's, I, I think the math would justify paying the extra 10 cents for the possibility of pushing on 83 in case they hover right around 500. So uh, for the record keeping, when we need to see who owes whom which beers after the season, I'll give you that 83 on Milwaukee. And I will have a similar handicap, not a surprise talking about the NL Central. I'm taking the Cardinals to go over. So actually taking all three of these picks, teams over 86 and a half. I did not plan on that, but it's just the way it shook out. Again, like we touched on the NL Central, could shape up to be a bit of a four-team race with the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, and Cubs. Uh, Likely not a 100-game winner or a 100-game loser in that bunch. Certainly the Pirates with their regular season win total in the 50s, looking like we could have a triple-digit game loser in that division. But I know projections tend to push teams toward the middle, and I think out of this division, whether it's the Brewers or the Cardinals or or maybe the Reds or Cubs, it's more likely than not that the winner is going to approach, if not surpass, 90 wins. So if I'm picking the Cardinals to win it, then I'll take them over 86.5. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, my my preparation line for the Cardinals, word for word, 
could be a very bad pick. So you, you could be right on. <laughs> you could be right on that. And you know, the Cardinals, they still haunt me from that 2006 season. They're another team where just when you think you haven't figured out, and when you see they still have Yadier Molina somehow after, <laughs> and it's just like all this stuff, you're like, you know what? St. Louis finds a way. So all, all power to you there. All right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We're going head to head, I guess, on the Rays and Cardinals. Uh, definitely the Rays for the purposes of our little side bet here and also the Cardinals when it comes to how we see the Central playing out. But yeah, it, this is going to give us a nice rooting interest in teams beyond your bets and my angels. And with that, I think it's a good time to move on to bold predictions. We've gone with, I think, still some pretty interesting picks for this season, but you know, we're, we're both seeing reason for a lot of the chalk to hold true over the course of 162 games. What would you say would be your one bold prediction for 2021? My bull prediction for 2021, keeping it more local in my New York area, I think this is a surprise to fantasy players. I think Michael Conforto will out-homer Pete Alonso on the Mets. Mm. Wow. Any, any reasoning behind that beyond just something bold that would be fun to see? I think it's a, oh, I know, I know it's a contract here for Conforto. If, if Conforto signs before the season, this is null and void. <laughs> this is null, if he signs before the season, I'm out. But I, I think it's going to be a huge year for him. He, he's a um, free agent to be. He's going to want to put on his best show. He was fantastic last year. And Alonzo had a sophomore thing going on last year where, listen, there was a reason why Alonzo was such a big surprise as rookie of the year. And he was a pretty old rookie at that. Not I, I love Alonso more than anyone, but I I just feel that maybe that he set a bar for himself very, very high that if he doesn't come close to it again, it would be reasonable, but also almost seem as a disappointment. So I'm seeing Conforto finishing with more than Alonso. I'm looking at the odds just to get a sense of this. I'm seeing Alonso nine to one to lead the majors in homers. So he's actually that high number, but that makes him the favorite. They've got him. Nine to one, just nudging or just edging Mike Trout at ten to one. Let me see if Conforto is listed. He is ninety to one. So we got a we've got a ten x difference in those odds. So if this happens, that is bold indeed. Yeah, that sounds like my next New Jersey bridge bet. That that sounds like a big whale <laughs> Wait, waiting for me. <laughs> Michael, if he if he does that, then somebody would be better than ninety to one. But if he can edge Alonzo, that would be a sight to behold. After listening to you say that. I will go with another major market, this one focusing in on Chicago. And my bold prediction is that the Cubs will have a better record than the White Sox. Ooh, so I love it. I love it. Not not quite as bold as Conforto out homering Alonzo, but I do still think there's there's something bold about it because the White Sox are projected to beat the Cubs by more than 10 games if we look at regular season win totals. Also, if we just gauge the general sentiment, a lot of excitement around the White Sox, not so much around the Cubs these days. And my angle here has a little bit of anti-White Sox and pro-Cubs sentiment. So when it comes to the White Sox side of things, I, I don't want to dismiss the positive indicators they've got. Last season's win percentage would extrapolate to 94 and a half wins over a 162 game season. So they showed up last year. They played really well in the abbreviated season. They bring back Jose Abreu, the reigning MVP. Lucas Giolito is a premier Cy Young contender in the American League. And Tony Larusa, a big name manager, he's won a World Series with multiple teams, so I, I see the excitement there. But again, that X factor, Larusa in a clubhouse in 2021, really not sure how that's going to play out. That could get pretty dicey pretty quickly. 
And overall, I'm just not sold on the preseason hype. I think the positives I touched on earlier are fully baked in to the regular season win total and a lot of the high hopes people have for them. I'm going to want to see it play out over the course of a full season. And just to frame this for you as a quick trivia question, when was the last full season the White Sox finished without a losing record? Oh, gosh. So they won it all in 05. So I'll say 2013. Oh, that's a great guess. Okay. So you're, you're much closer than I would have been 2012. Oh my gosh. That's a long time ago, man. Yeah. I was going back year by year and I kept thinking, okay, this, you know, 2019 losing season, 2018 losing season. This is going to be the winning season. This next one's going to be the winning season. This next one's going to be it. And it, it took a minute, but this will be their first season with a 500 or better record in almost a decade. So if they're going to meet these lofty projections, it's going to have to be a, you know, a big break from their pattern and it could totally happen, but I'm just not fully bought in on them. And then when it comes to the Cubs, I do like something about their strength of schedule versus the White Sox being the AL central. So the Cubs don't have a division rival that projects to be as good as the twins, which means the White Sox could have more competition atop the AL central. And there's also no division rival in the AL central that projects to be as poor as the pirates. So that gives the Cubs, in theory, more easy wins in their division than the White Sox are going to get. And beyond both sides of the strength of schedule spectrum kind of favoring the Cubs here, I think their starting rotation depth is getting overlooked. They don't have anybody as good as Giolito on the front lines. But when it comes to stuff and manned, their rotation on a whole stacks up pretty favorably. Um, one more time, I'll note recent guest Eno Sarris of The Athletic wrote a good piece recently when he rated the command and stuff of all the different teams to Cubs graded very favorably. So that's not something I'm really seeing anywhere else. And I think if he knows onto something that could give the Cubs a real shot with a lot of depth in that rotation to outlast the White Sox in this theoretical head to head race over the course of the full season. So I wouldn't bet on the Cubs to be better than the White Sox at even odds, but I think it's more likely that the Cubs have a better record than the White Sox than the double digit gap in their regular season win numbers would suggest. Well, there you go. At least you know for sure when KC plays the White Sox, we're, we're on board KC for, for all of yeah. our reasons, for all of our picks. And uh, no, I, I hear what you're saying there. And yeah, when I think of the White Sox and they're obviously very long drive, you talked about, you know, Robin Ventura is one of my favorite Mets of all time. But I remember mm-hmm. he was the manager for a few years. And I was just like, you're starting to see why they have so many good young players now because you got to finish the bottom so many years and, you know, tr- try to work your way out of it. But that um, Jimenez injury, he was going to be a superstar this year. I mean, that, that is like, I feel like it happens so close to the opener. That's not getting a big, you know, to do about it, but he was going to be the centerpiece of their whole lineup. So you, you might be onto something there. Yeah, it would be fun to see. I mean, I don't want the White Sox to totally tank, but I think it would be fun if, you know, the Cubs, one of these teams, a lot of people aren't that excited about. You mentioned about half the league. It seems like, you know, what's there to hope for this year. It'll be fun just to see some excitement. And on that note, yeah, the Royals, I, I guess this is a Royals podcast now. So. <laughs> We'll see how they can do over the course of the full season. And who would have thought after they, they broke my heart in 2015, being the Mets in the World Series? I, I guess I have a forgiving heart with them. But, I, you know, I just – I looked – doing my fantasy baseball stuff, I looked at their lineup. I said, "Where there's no irrelevant automatic out here. That You know, it looks like they can – especially this ball is dead and just put some line drives out there. And, you know, they're not superstars, but maybe they could just, like, piece some wins together. Yeah, I, I think you brought up a lot of good reasons why that could happen. And so we've got – between all our picks, bold predictions, a lot to look forward to this year. And 
I'll use that as a segue to our rapid fire round. I know we're a little north of an hour and a half. Thank you for all your time. Thank you for listeners who've stuck around to this point to uh, to quickly bang out some some final interesting points to prime ourselves for the 2021 season. What is the one thing you are most looking forward to this season? Watching games in some kind of community setting. Uh, I'm not saying I want to go out to crowded bars or anything, but watching amazing Mets games in a basement with just, you know, a brother and it's, it's just a different feeling. You want to know that there's people around you that care as much as you and you feed off each other in that energy. So whether it's at the ballpark or in a public gathering, just having real baseball where a community comes together and is in the same boat. That's really, really exciting to me. Yeah, that's, we did not cross-reference anything beforehand, but that's really aligned with what I noted, which would be going to games. I'll get a little bit more specific and just talk about going to the ballpark. I haven't been to an Angels home game in five years. And in fairness, I think the Angels haven't deserved my time or money over the past five years. But especially after a year like 2020, really can't wait to get back out there to my old sounding grounds and simply appreciate Mike Trout and that team for what it is. And I hope you're right. And they can win the division, make a good run of the postseason. But even if not, especially after not even having that option last year, I think just the simple pleasure of going to that ballpark, being at a major league game in person will be unlike any previous experience to start the season. I believe they're at 25% capacity. I was able to get tickets to one of their home games in the middle of the month. So it'll be the first time out there in five years uh, limited capacity is going to be different. There will, of course, be the you know the pandemic restrictions in place, but the ability to get out there and do something like that, uh, I, I don't think I've anticipated an April baseball game that's not opening day in, in my entire lifetime as a fan. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, have a blast. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's going to be something, and hopefully we're all in a spot where we can safely and comfortably go to games regularly pretty soon. The extra space and just convenience of a smaller crowd uh, could be really nice in on top of the safety measures. But there's also, I, I think the next time that, again, it's it's safe and appropriate to be in a really crowded spot without any reservations, that can be, you know, a really annoying, anxiety-inducing experience at times. But I'm just going to have to take a step back and, and remind myself, like, hey, like, it's, it's an option now. If it's on the table, that means some much more important things have moved in a good direction. So kind of in line with what you said, it's, it's just nice to see things move in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Long time coming. It's felt like a long year. Yeah. Yeah. This, this last year's kind of felt like a decade in a sense. So moving in the right direction. And I also feel like it'd be remiss not to circle back on the other pillar of props and hops being craft beer. What would you say is your favorite beer to drink? I'm going to shout out another local ish brewery to me. Um, Six point in Brooklyn has a beer called sweet action. And it is my treat of choice. If I'm at the ballpark, they're really widely distributed. So you can really find it anywhere in the New York area. Um, Six point sweet action is right now my number one beer to drink and a little just not narrative, but as part of a former job of mine, um, the guys at at six point brought us in for a brewery tour. It could not have been nicer, more welcoming. So it's another chapter of me just wanting to support them and their beer is, is worth it as well. So six point sweet action takes my gold medal um, in that department. Love it. Yeah. So when I spoke with Ann Riley, no relation to Connor Riley, a few weeks back for New York City Beer Week, one of the things they were doing was beer boxes that could ship across the country. So I got one and I got a six point can 
and it was really cool to try them for the first time. It wasn't sweet action, so I'll keep that one high on the list. But just having the chance to taste their beer and and get you know a broader taste of New York than some of the the really good brewers I already know. I mean, for those watching a video, I've got the other half shirt going to represent New York, not too far from where you are right now. But to try a spot like Six Point was a real joy getting that ship to my door. And at the same time, I'll definitely look forward to the time that you and I are both at Six Point drinking some of their beers together, maybe some sweet action in person. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, to bring this full circle, last question, I'll make it a bit of a two-parter, kind of the, the rose and a thorn concept, not that we'd have too many thorns in this, but what would you say are the best and worst roommate moments you can recall from our days together at Warren Towers on Com Ave? Boston University in the fall of 2005 to the spring of 06. I'd say our best moments together revolved around the intramural sports we played together, where we were always on the same team. And it kind of took our laid back personalities that we have, but I think we're both kind of different people in competition athletically. And I think we really kind of showed different sides of ourselves out there, whether it was football, uh, the broom ball sport, we played at you know, the different things we did. And I think being out there, you know, just giving it our all and like not just being friends outside, but like being on a team and real, I think me and you really want to win those games, like more than like everyone else did. Like just kind of being in that setting. Those are my fondest memories um, as far as in the best department. Yeah. I love that. I still, I hadn't thought about it before you said this, but I remember playing broom ball and we were playing it. One of the, hockey you know on the you know hockey ice at not aganis it was probably the the prior to aganis they're gonna opening it was where the hockey teams used to play and it was like this dingy old gym but i remember we had like one goal and it was so hard to score there we had one goal and you were our goalie and i remember just playing defense watching the count clock down and then go hang out by you and like it, i don't even think we high-fived i think we hugged when we won that game just that experience. I never played organized hockey, but to have that experience knowing like you've got the one goal lead, they're not going to score. There's just a few seconds left on the clock. That anticipation is, you know, for intramural broom ball probably gave me a, a little bit too much jubilation, but that was a great time. And I'm glad you remember times like that because I, I think I really uh, lost myself uh, in a few of our football games. So I, I will pretend like that didn't happen and that we can just take those good memories from winning on the broom ball ice. Absolutely. It, it was, it was really special. And, you know, like we said, our, our dorm room floor was really close together. So if we needed a team, we had a team together and it was just us, the friends were out there, but it's just a different sense athletically. I think we were kind of on the same plane of like really wanting to do our best and uh, we, we had a blast doing it. Yeah. Yeah, we did indeed. Um, maybe something, this doesn't have to be a worse story in the sense of something really bad that happened, but maybe uh, something that, is a, a funny story. Maybe wouldn't belong in the, you know, the upper echelon with the best. I mean, when I think of the best really quickly, I, I would say that the way you handled the news when I told you I was going to be transferring, I think you coined the term operation Trojan when it became clear, I was angling to get into USC and no resentment, despite what would have been such a blast to room together again, the next year and probably the year two after that, but remaining friends in this, you know, in some ways I think we're closer for it. And, and I think a lot of that's thanks to how you handled it. So uh, I'm sure it wasn't the best news for you to get, given how we were able to bond as roommates. But I, I still appreciate how you handled, uh, you know, the moment. Um, some, some pretty big news like that. Oh, of course. And, you know, it was, it was surreal to hear, but you know, just hearing you throughout the year, you know, you had such a love for your 
home state of California and, and you know, USC and to know that was going to happen and just USC's pedigree with their program and seeing my biggest joy is seeing that became, you know, when you had all those cool things with the football team and your Olympics trip and all that, I was like, wow, like he took a big chance doing this and like, whoa, did it pay off? So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was something at the time. And, you know, I, I was thrilled to support you at the time. It was a bummer. We couldn't be roommates, but, uh, we really made the most of the time we had. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, thank you again. So grateful for that. Um, but maybe, maybe you've got a story that you're not so grateful for, but we can look back on and laugh. What would you say might go in the category of, of some of the worst or, or sillier moments as roommates? The one thing that pops my head right away, and to be fair, you warned me about this, but you alerted me that you were quite a deep sleeper. <laughs> and one of, the first nights, one of the first nights ever, oh my goodness, you must have had two different alarms set and our dorm room was not terribly big. So the first one starts going off. The second one starts going off. And like, I feel like I'm like in a war. It's just a deafening noise. <laughs> and you're just like peacefully across the way. So me just in my bed finding things. To, I Again, we met the day before, I think. What am I going to throw at this guy <laughs> to try to wake him up from across the room? And I think we had a whole bunch of things flying your way. And so you finally woke up. Um, that, that, that was always something that popped in my head. It's like, okay, you know this guy wasn't lying about being a deep sleeper and let's see what it's going to take. But it was really impressive from me and <laughs> selfishly having you as a roommate, you displayed that in terms of discipline and physical fitness and taking care of yourself, the way you dedicate yourself to doing that really made a no excuse policy for me and that we were doing this. We were eating the same crap in the dining hall. We were doing the same activities, but you were disciplined and keeping up with yourself and keeping yourself fit. And I was kind of on the other side of that. And that's something that to turn, turn this thorn into a, into a nice moment. That's something you continue to inspire me. I know you're always super supportive and me trying to better myself in that way. But um, having you, having you as a roommate was, it was a, a tough scene sometimes in terms of my physical appearance at the time. <laughs> yeah well no it's been great I've, I've seen the pictures you've been sharing about like you know getting out there and doing you know i think you've done quite a few 5ks and and even now you've you've clearly kept up with you know staying active despite what the last year has thrown at all of us and that's awesome i think once you get the habit going it, it's you know once you get it going it's probably easier to maintain but building that habit or sticking through it during a turbulent time like this past year uh that really says a lot so I think there's a saying like the heaviest weight at the gym is the front door. And to see the way that you've like really built this habit for yourself, you know, uh, uh, I think probably it's safe to say a, a healthier lifestyle. Like that's awesome. And I think we can still enjoy some good beers and, you know, eat whatever we want when we're hanging out together. But also last time you were visiting out here, like, you know, going for a run or going to my, you know, my apartment's gym at the time, like just putting that to like, that was a new thing that we could both do in, in some ways that just like, adds more common ground for the two of us. So I appreciate the way you've taken that up. And yeah, with the alarm story, my memory of it is that I had an old school alarm. Um, again, this is before iPhones and all that. And I think I had it set to like a radio station, but of course it was like a San Diego, it was probably like rock 105.3. But in Boston, that frequency was like pure static. I think in the move shuffling our luggage, it probably got cranked up like full blast. The time got all wrong. It, I think it went off at a time that I had no intention of waking up <laughs> to a frequency that was picking up no signal at a deafening noise. And yeah, I can, I can empathize with you just being like, what in the world have I signed up for rooming with this guy? <laughs> Tough start, but you know, it was, it was all uphill from there. And uh, hey, 
you warned me. You did warn me. It wasn't a surprise, <laughs> at least, but uh, you were not kidding. And it was uh, it was quite quite a great icebreaker for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've got one. I'll throw your way to close this out. This wasn't an icebreaker. This was more, I think, smack in the middle of our year rooming together. There was a night where we had, let's say, an unwanted visitor, mm-hmm. and I think she was making some pretty clear and major moves on me. And it mm-hmm. was abundantly clear that I had a girlfriend at the time who was not this person. And I know that I should have handled it myself. There were a lot of things I could have and should have done, but I, I could have totally used an assist in the moment. But when it, when it really got awkward, I remember you leaving the room, <laughs> like giving us that moment for her to ratchet it up even more. So, so that was an interesting one for me where I'm like, oh, thanks for the assist, Connor. This was the worst moment I had in mind, but I wasn't going to bring it up here. So I'm really glad you did. So th- this, is one, <laughs> this is the one that clearly I would have said, yes, yes. This was one where I um, took all kinds of easy ways out. I departed. I said, okay, this is the bad thing to do. You're being a bad guy. But um, yes, that, that was a bad moment. That was a bad moment. Apologies. It's as much as I'd like to say, oh, why'd you leave? What's up with that? Um, I, again, I was 18 or 19 at the time, fully capable of using my words, my own appropriate actions to take care of it. So I am by no means blameless in this, but I think it was kind of a comedy of errors from two of us, namely myself, first and foremost, who just hadn't been in that kind of spot before. And I think we're almost like paralyzed by how to handle it. So um, I'd like to think that if we face that all these years later, we would nip it in the bud much more quickly. But uh, the way it played out, it makes for an unforgettable story. So <laughs> Uh, from from the good to the bad, I think we got a pretty uh, pretty full spectrum in that year together. So unforgettable stuff. Glad we're still doing this 15 years later. And uh, to to wrap it up, um, I know you've got a presence on Twitter, Instagram. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything that you're directly involved with, or or anything you just like in general that you want to go plug? Yeah, I, I had some social media things. Once I became a teacher here in New York, I kind of went st- stale on those. The social media is in my own right. Um, so I, I love to take the opportunity just for my local breweries. We've mentioned a few um, at, uh, I'm sorry, the Instagram, Oyster Bay Brewing, all one word, mm-hmm. Blue Point Brewing. And then the six point I mentioned is uh, Instagram is just six point with a six spelled out. Just some breweries that I'm sure in these times can use some support. And they have some really cool contests sometimes. And uh, it'll be great if they got some more followers. And uh, yeah, those those are my plugs for this time. Awesome. Uh, I think I'm following at least two of the three. I'll check to make sure I'm following all three. I can also put that in the show notes. So there's links for easy reference for any listeners to go see what they're up to, give them a follow. So Connor, this has been unreal. I want to thank you. We're, this is going to be close to two hours. Um, thank you to all the listeners who stuck around and thank you to you for your time to do this. I cannot wait until we're sharing beer in person once again. Again, you talked about looking forward to that community setting, uh, whether it's Sweet Action at Six Point, Oyster Bay, Blue, uh, was it Blue Point as well? Blue Point, yep. yep. I, any of those spots, anywhere else, I, I don't care. Just name the time and place and we can safely do it. I cannot wait. In the meantime, look forward to welcoming back baseball and seeing if this is indeed the Mets year. Thanks so much, man. Congrats again on the podcast success. Goodbye. Thanks again to Connor for joining the show. If you found any value in what he had to say, you can pay it forward by following three of his favorite breweries on Instagram. As he mentioned, that would be Six Point, Oyster Bay Brewing, 
and Blue Point Brew Pub. I'll drop a link to each of these breweries' Instagram profiles in these show notes for easy reference. If you found value in this conversation, you can also pay it forward by sharing this episode with a friend. Friendly reminder to also please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would be incredibly helpful. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going and ask any questions to possibly be discussed on a future episode of Props and Hops, you can connect with me on Twitter, at mlandis18, and on Instagram, at propsandhops. And if you're interested in a write-up on the highlights from my conversation with Connor, you'll be able to find that over at dimers.com, where you'll also be able to find valuable sports betting information across multiple sports every single day. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. Enjoy opening day. I'll talk to you next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.